Hello, ladies. Welcome to the Hourly to Exit podcast. I'm your host, Erin Austin. My goal with every episode is to share information and resources to help you achieve the next level of growth in your expertise-based business. We all know generating income from our expertise is pretty easy. The challenge is in scaling and building a business that can run without you. Join me here every week to make sure you are building an asset that can be used to fund your goals and your legacy. Before we get started though, one little disclaimer, because I'm a lawyer. The information I share on the podcast is general in nature and is provided for information purposes only. It is not to be relied upon nor construed as providing legal advice or legal opinions about any specific issue or set of facts. Now, here we go. Hello, ladies. Welcome to the Hourly to Exit podcast. Thank you for joining me today. And thank you. I have Ellen Grace Henson, who's joined me for today's episode. Hi. Hi. So this is a special one for me because Ellen Grace and I go way back. And we've even done some productized services together. And so this is going to be an interesting one today since she is a very experienced management consultant who has really studied some of the issues that are involved with creating a business that can operate independently from the owner and providing value to clients other than selling your time. And so we are going to dig into all of that today. But first, Ellen Grace, can you please introduce yourself to the audience? Hello, audience. (laughs) I want to give Erin some props. She mentioned that we did some work together on productizing services, and it was one of the highlights of my professional career working with Erin Austin. So if you have an opportunity to work with Erin Austin, I encourage you to take it. Wow. Thank you. Absolutely. Ellen Grace Henson. My company's name is Marketing Mechanics, and I've been consulting in business strategy, product strategy, and product management for upwards of 18 years. My company helps our clients better understand their markets and customers so they can build better products, more successful businesses. And uniquely, we help teams align around a shared understanding of the customer. One of the top points of failure for teams is a lack of shared goals and alignment. And I like to say that one of the most natural and neutral areas for alignment is a focus on the customer. So when you have team members sharing an understanding of the customer, collaboration becomes easier. Shared goals become easier. So that's part of the work I do. Yeah, I mean, that directly feeds into the idea of instead of thinking about the inputs, because departments are inputs, right? We're thinking about the outputs and the results we're providing to our clients, which is, of course, customer focused. And so that is where the greater value is. So yeah, I'm very anti-silo, which is obviously what you work against. And if you're all working towards that same goal, which is the outcome we're providing, the value we're providing for the client, then we are all working towards the same goal. That's right. Can I build on that a little bit? Please. Because one of the outputs also, when people have the understanding that they have shared goals, they also then have better connections with other people on the team. So what I see a lot in tech is some jobs are more highly valued than others inside the company. And 
we forget sometimes that it's not just the product. While the product and the technology are core to the value that we deliver, if operations isn't in alignment and understanding what the customer needs, there's a potential point of failure. Mm -hmm. If marketing is not in alignment with the understanding of the customer, if there's a misalignment between product management and marketing on who the customer is, there's a potential point of failure. And I actually had a client who brought me in in part because their team wasn't aligned. There was a lot of role contention, whose job is it anyhow? And ultimately, there was a disconnect between what product was building and what sales was selling. Mm-hmm. And it wouldn't have mattered how good that product was when customers received it. It wasn't what they expected. It's like, I need a new pair of fancy shoes for a party I'm going to. And the company shifts me hiking boots. <laughs> and while they might be the most awesome hiking boots in the world, I can't wear them to the party I'm going to. All right. So, and that company had been like number one in market share. And this disruption or challenge in delivering value to their customer cost them a lot of customers, cost them a lot of money and cost them significant share in the market. It gave their competitors an opportunity to jump into the market. So alignment is not just a nice thing to have. It's critical for success. It is absolutely. And we're going to talk about value in a second, but I just wanted, as you were telling us that story, it reminded me of a kind of concept idea that I had when I first started thinking about like how to pivot away from working just with big corporations, which was basically looking at the entire customer journey and Mm -hmm. looking at how all the places that legal and contracts are impactful everywhere along from the time that we're talking to them, to the sales, to the close, to the delivery, including maximizing the long-term value of that client relationship. And I never quite got there. It's still hanging out back there. But it is, to your point, all these things have to align to maximize that value, both what we give and what we get from that relationship. So, Absolutely. And you know, at the risk of going off on a big tangent, I'd be happy to brainstorm on the role of legal. But I also want to say, I think legal and finance are two of the most under-leveraged groups in the company for understanding the value our customers need and for creating unique value inside the company. So especially now, I mean, the legal environment is much more complex than with security and permissions management and identity management, all those things. It's a much more complex environment. And there's various points in time or various points along the customer experience where companies are gathering information about prospects and customers. You need a legal check on that. Yes. Mm -hmm. And not just a legal check, but also are we doing it in a way that makes it easy for our customers to engage? Sometimes when I'm asked about cookies, it's very simple. I can set a couple of things and great. Other times when a website asks me about cookies, they tell me to go read this complex. If I want (laughs) to limit the cookies that are used, they tell me to go read this complex document and contact this third party. I find that actually insulting. (laughs) Why do they want to make it difficult for me to have a positive experience with their company? Yeah, it is. Well, things have gotten very complicated with cookies, with data privacy. Certainly when you're dealing with international businesses, GDPR, but you're right, that is a long detour. But 
I will take you up on thinking about how these two things work together. Another day. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. So we want to talk today about the types of value that we as expertise-based businesses with corporate clients, how do we provide value for our clients? And you have some ideas around that. I'd love for you to share them. Absolutely. So I want to make it clear when we talk about not just selling your time, sometimes when people start out first in a consulting or contracting business, they charge per hour. All right. And Sometimes that's appropriate, but as you grow in the value that you deliver, you might rethink that. And that's a sidebar we can take up a little bit later. So there are different types of value that as a consultant or a contractor, you can deliver to your clients. One is incremental. And incremental means they can get more done, right? So if you're a marketing contractor, you can help get more content written. Another is innovative. What can you do that might shift how your client delivers value to their customers. What insights can you provide? Is it a different take on a market? Is it a different marketing strategy or different sales strategy, a different legal strategy? That's contributing innovative value. And then there can also be value that is transformational, that really transforms the way your client does business or that transforms the way your client is delivering value to their audiences. That might be something along the lines of, I'll talk about this a little bit more later if you want, Aaron, but my good friend, Jim Horan, when he first started in business, he was a fractional CFO, chief financial Mm -hmm. officer. And then he created the one-page business plan. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. Not only did he transform the positioning of his business and make it more compelling, he helped transform the approach companies were taking to generating business plans and tracking their success against that plan. Where a business plan, we've all probably seen or worked on business plans that maybe even hundreds of pages long, yes. 50 pages long. <laughs> but when you can distill it down to one page that captures the most critical points, that can be transformational to how a company thinks about its business and then conducts its business. Okay. So to go back over the three types of value. So starting with incremental, I think of that as just being an extra pair of hands, I think is kind of the way. So you're kind of selling an extra pair of hands. So you are kind of taking orders from your client and you have some skill and maybe even some expertise that they don't have, but generally they are defining what they need and you are filling the order. And so the innovative one, maybe that's you tell me, like, how do we look at the business model for the innovative type of value? So I had a client where their business model was SaaS and they were getting licensing revenue. Mm -hmm. What they were missing, though, was opportunities for additional revenue streams. You know, after working together with them and understanding their priorities better and understanding their customer needs better, we concluded that different types of customers needed different types of support. And so they had an opportunity to kind of shift their business model, not change the fundamentals of their business model, but shift it to expand it to provide additional services and thus provide more value to their customers and also capture more revenue for the company. The other thing that they were in a position to do, because one of the things a SaaS model enables is capturing a lot more data on use of your software product. 
And maybe this starts to get into transformational value. But when a lot of times the data that gets captured is thought of as an internal asset, and what can we learn about how our customers are using the product? That data can also become, once you perhaps anonymize it and massage it in certain ways, can also become an external asset that can transform the way your customers work, that can transform the way your customers think about their businesses. So you have assets, you're generating assets that you're not even aware of, that your customers, your clients are probably generating assets that they're not even aware of how they can leverage more fully. So part of the role of a consultant might be able to say, hey, here's value that you're leaving on the table, or here's incremental value that you can give to your customers and then take incremental revenue from. So that shifts from just, I'm an extra pair of hands to help get things done, to I'm a high value thinker who can contribute to either adding innovation to your process, adding innovation to your business model, or transforming your business model and transforming the value that you deliver to your clients. Got it. And so, I mean, at some point, I feel like when you were mentioning that transformational, that can be the value that we provide to our clients, but also transformative within our own businesses when we are leveraging all the assets that we have available, all the data that is available to us. Absolutely. And you and I have talked about this a lot, and that's been part of our productizing services Mm -hmm. conversation. So I've been consulting for 18 plus years. And I've consulted from startups to global 500 companies, a variety of teams, a lot of different technologies and several different markets. And one of the things I've discovered along the way is there are common challenges in all of those different, regardless of the team size, regardless of the market, regardless of the company size and the technology at play, there are some common challenges. And so... I've been able to, in my business, create frameworks and methodologies that are highly adaptable for my clients. I don't have to start with a blank sheet of paper every time I engage with a new client. I can start with the frameworks that are kind of baseline and then customize them or maybe more take a bespoke approach in the context of what the client's needs are and the client's specific challenges are. So I have gathered all this information from all these different companies that I've worked with to the benefit of all my clients and all my new and future clients, and also to the benefit of my business, because I can become more effective. And I also have potentially frameworks that I can license to other consultants and grow my business that way as well. Absolutely. Now, I know that you, I'm pretty sure that you don't have a niche. And by that, I mean that there's a vertical that you work with specifically. But I think that you do have a specialization, which it sounds like among clients that have this similar problem that you have been able to develop your frameworks and methodologies around. Is that fair that you seem to come into the same type of problem that you help clients with, even if they're different? I'd say the same. I don't want to say type of problem because I think that narrows it a little bit. Mm -hmm. But organizationally, alignment is a key challenge. Mm -hmm. And it's the rare company that doesn't have a challenge around alignment. We talked about that a little earlier. It's the rare company where everybody, a real simple alignment assessment, right, is go ask five different people in your company who the customer is. You'll get five different answers. I almost guarantee it, right? Wow. (laughs) So that core problem of alignment then has other challenges. The other piece of it, so my primary area of consulting is product management. 
And just like many other areas of expertise, it's a big umbrella. Mm-hmm. So oftentimes I might help my clients specifically with process work, help them up-level their process and increase alignment within their process. Sometimes I might help my client with the skill levels of their product management team. And those skill levels can run from how do you write a business case for a single feature to how do you improve your ability to influence across the silos in the company. So that can be pretty far ranging. So yes, Mm -hmm. You're right. I don't have a market niche. Mm-hmm. I do, though, have a range within a particular discipline of work that I engage with my clients on. Now, was there a time, a pre-framework, pre-methodology time in your business? And what did that look like versus your post-framework, post-methodology? Yeah. So that would be more the incremental. I think I've always straddled, early in my career, I think I straddled incremental and innovative mm-hmm. because... My very first, even before I started consulting, my very first product management job, when I was going to sit down with the engineers to brainstorm on this new product, I invited customer service in. Mm-hmm. An engineer was like, why are they here? And I said, well, they talk to customers every day. And I imagine they have some insights to contribute. So one of my first tasks when I started my business, a previous employer called me up and said they needed some help writing some requirements documents for a new initiative. And so I said, great, I'll work on some requirements documentation for you. Now, on the one hand, that was definitely incremental. They didn't have the bandwidth to work on this. I, though, came in and I said, for a requirements document, I'm not just going to talk about feature function. We're going to look at how might this impact our sales strategy? How might this impact our operational requirements? How might this impact documentation and education? How might Mm -hmm. this impact support? So I've always looked at things from that broader perspective. And I'm gratified that type of conversation now is much more common in the industry. But early in my career, I wasn't aware of anybody else taking that approach. So it was both incremental and innovative. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I will say, and this is, I'm sure just me, that I hadn't heard the term customer experience, like CX, and before five years ago. But I guess it's been, is it fairly recent or did I just miss it before that? (laughs) No, no, no. I think it's a fairly new Uh, way of talking about the challenge. Mm -hmm. I don't think they're concepts that came out just five years ago, because again, (laughs) even from early in my career, I was trying to understand and trying to help the rest of the organization that I was working with understand that it's not just the experience of the customer using the product. It's the experience of the customer engaging with the company at every step along the way, from how they discover the company, how they define Mm -hmm. their own need, Mm -hmm. how they discover you as a company, how they first engage with you in terms of gaining information, getting insight to how your offer might impact them, et cetera, and then engage from a business perspective. And then an area that I think often gets neglected in product management also is how do then you might want to retire that product. Mm -hmm. What's the experience that your customer has while you're retiring that product? And that's, again, in terms of the full experience. So I've always thought that way. Mm -hmm. And I'm gratified to see now that there's more concern given to that full customer experience. Mm -hmm. All right. I want to go back to one of the things that you said about your pre-framework, pre-methodology business was more on the incremental value side. 
And so I think by extension, we can say that if we want to graduate from being that incremental kind of extra pair of hands person to being someone who creates higher value, whether it be the innovation or ultimately transformational, that we need to have something that's uniquely ours that we're bringing to the table. Yes, I agree with that point. And that's a common challenge for positioning. It is. Whatever, whether you're consulting or you're a company selling products, how do you differentiate yourself? What is the unique value that you bring? How do you instantiate that value and deliver it to your clients? And also, how do you talk about that value? This is kind of taking me off to a tangent for what are the keys to success? Certainly, positioning, differentiation, and delivering high value and developing awesome relationships are those keys to success. My frameworks are useless if people don't know about them. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. That's true. And at the end of the day, do they need to know about the framework or do they need to know about the value that they get from working with you, right? That's right. That's exactly right. Uh -huh. There's the why and then there's the how, right? right? The, exactly. I know there's these five W's, but there's the why, the who, the what and the how. Oh, for. yeah. I thought how, that was, I thought that was a out. newspaper thing about how to write newspaper articles. But. Yes, but it's also very relevant <laughs> when you're trying to figure out the value that you deliver and who your audience is and et cetera, et cetera. So anyhow, I think I've gone off track here in my thinking. <laughs> Bring us back to the point, Erin. Oh, well, just that having the frameworks and the methodologies, that's internal to you. But that's how you get to providing that value consistently and that you right. are going to get that result for your client that you promised them. But at the end of the day, the client cares about the result and not that, oh, it's your framework. I'm so happy it was your framework. That's right. It's not theoretical. It's applied. Right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> And the application and the results are what matters. Absolutely. And my clients have seen some pretty good results. Yeah. So, that, that is kind of can we talk about that a little bit more if you'd like? Well, I know that we wanted to talk about kind of the education for project managers. Is there, tell us where you'd like to go there. So there's a couple of things. When I first started in product management, there was no training available. There were no classes. There were no schools. Every major university offers product management education. And there's a lot of companies that have grown up around product management education. And you can be a certified product manager, right? That's a yes. Good, right? As a matter of fact, I help with the local university, I help define the certification program for product managers. Oh, cool. Thank you. So when I first started, I want to go back to that. I asked the hiring VP, were there guidelines, anything I should do, anything I should follow? And he's like, no. And I said, well, okay, as I learn things or create things, should I document them? He said, no, <laughs> which I found so interesting. I found it so interesting. But to me, it's really valuable to pass on what we know, to pass on what we've learned. And because I didn't have that kind of external training or external opportunity, I did invent and create a lot of things for myself along mm -hmm. the way. And I still find like product management is still a very big umbrella, as I said. And a lot of product managers are focused on feature function. And one of the biggest challenges I've had younger product managers bring to me is the CEO or some other executive is insisting that we add this new functionality. And we're already maxed out on our ability to deliver against the schedules. So how do I push back? 
this is where it's very, very interesting to me that most product management people don't seem to understand the business context and don't seem to be able to validate the business context mm -hmm. that they're working in. Mm -hmm. What does it mean financially to the company? What does it mean to the market, et cetera? So what I came up with was this one page business case, right? So how do you write a simple business case? Mm -hmm. The other side of that is how do you think more expansively? These are the types of things I want to educate other product managers around. Mm -hmm. How do you think more expansively about your customer, right? And what is your, really your responsibility as the person who advocates for the customer? It's not just listening to your customer is really important, but listening to the market, understanding what's possible, understanding things that your customer is not in a position to understand, anticipating future needs. Those are all really important, yeah. I believe. Mm -hmm. Because if you're just chasing another anecdote, if I may. Yes. <laughs> I've done a lot of work on pre-market technology. And... What I typically do, you're trying to find the right market fit for a technology, is you come up with different scenarios, potential use scenarios for that technology. Then you go and you interview people. So I had this particular pre-market technology I was working with. I came up with different scenarios and I interviewed six directors of product management within that space. And I said, do you think this scenario would be interesting to your customers? And every single one of them said to me, nobody's asking for it. And I admit to having been a bit stunned by that response. <laughs> because nobody could ask for it because nobody knew that it was possible, mm -hmm. right? That's like Steve Jobs, somebody saying, nobody's asking for a camera in their phone. Oh, right. then let's not do it. <laughs> you have to anticipating. Yeah. So I track a lot of different trends and a lot of different technologies because part of what happens, and I also like to say that opportunity is created by the intersection of trends. So part of what happens is there's this trend coming along and right now it might not be affecting your market. But if you're not tracking it, you won't see the possibility of when it will affect your market. AI, potentially, yeah. right? or various other technologies that we can think about. How are those going to impact your customers, even maybe three years, five years down the line? So I also have courseware in strategic product management mm -hmm. because it's important, again, not just to say, what's the incremental improvement we can provide in 6, 12, 18 months? But what's the radical innovation and transformational improvements we can look at, we can look forward to down the line, mm -hmm. given that we understand these trends, given that we understand the customer needs more than from a feature function standpoint, et cetera. We read that opportunity is where trends intersect? Intersect, yes. That is so yes. good. Okay. I think we Thanks. have our title. Okay. <laughs> so, I mean, a truly evolved, let's say, product manager can provide that transformational value to the clients because they're looking at the trends. They're not just filling orders, but they're looking ahead, seeing where the puck is going to be <laughs> and right. to help them be there to meet it, their clients be there to meet it. Right. Another thing I like to say is, we can't predict the future, but we can anticipate what might happen. So you can't always say, yes, we know the puck's going to be there in three years. Mm -hmm. But we can say, here's the possible places that puck might be given mm -hmm. different trends and potential. How do we build that agility into our value creation approach? Mm -hmm. How do we, as the trends become clearer, be able to adjust, et cetera? I mean, there's a lot of meat. <laughs> wow. In okay. that conversation right there. 
That is very interesting. You surprised me with that one. I didn't know that was very interesting. I love that. And we're going to talk about your courseware as we wrap up, because I do want to talk about what offerings you have then. But before we get there, I want to talk about the fact that this is a very meta podcast. You know, I'm a female founder of an expertise-based business that I am hoping to grow so I can sell it someday. You're also the female founder of an expertise-based business. So are you growing your business to perhaps sell it someday? That would be awesome. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) I agree. And I'll tell you, meeting you helped expand and solidify my mindset around that. And that's also one of my areas of improvement, right? Is how do I make sure the work that I'm doing and creating internally mm-hmm. is done in such a way that it will have value beyond my participation in this business. Mm-hmm. So yes, you and I have explored a couple of things in that regards. And certainly I mentioned that a little bit earlier, being able to license my frameworks and methodologies, being able to train people in those things, creating courseware that will live on beyond my business, that will have value to product managers, hopefully some long-term into the future. Yeah, those are things that are really important. Yeah, I mean, you're doing all the right things, the things that you're doing now to scale your business and having multiple ways of delivering your expertise, yes, with one-on-one services, but also through training other consultants and providing other educational services. So you're doing all the right things. So I have no doubt you'll get there. So do you have a plan for your next chapter after you sell your business, which we know is going to happen? That's so interesting because that to me starts to sound a little bit like retirement. (laughs) (laughs) And Depends on how you define retirement. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Exactly. But I enjoy what I do so much. At this point, maybe I can do less of it and start to do more of other things. Maybe I'll spend more time training people and not, I don't know. I just love what I'm doing and I want to do more of it and I want to do it better. I want to increasingly deliver value. I want to deliver increasing value to my clients. I just find this to be great work and I really enjoy it. And I'm sure there'll be a next chapter, but I don't know when, and I'm not quite sure what shape that will take. Yeah, I'm with you on that. It's hard to imagine just not working and then what? But then when you have a skill or a passion that you want to share, well, maybe don't have to get paid for it. Maybe you do still. Oh, absolutely. There's there's other ways to continue to provide. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. I agree with you. And I do some of that Mm -hmm. already. So there's two organizations I'm involved with. Oh, you're skipping two. Oh, am I going too fast? (laughs) Well, let's take this part out. I thought that was a perfect segue. Well, we'll wait on that. Well, it is a perfect segue. But since we have a way that we do things around here, Grace. So as you know, we believe in creating a world, a more equitable economy. And so in particular, I believe that wealth in the hands of women can change the world. And so would you like to share a person or an organization that you admire who is helping create a more equitable economy? Okay. So I'm a little stunned by the question. You asked it a little bit differently earlier. So I'll talk about two organizations that I'm involved with. And I will also say that I know a lot of really awesome women, yourself included, who are doing great work. I'm going to have to publish a list, Erin, because the more (laughs) that I think about it, even in the moment, one of the organizations I contribute to, and we didn't talk about this at all, is Heifer International. 
And the thing I love about Heifer International is that they provide economic engines to people. They provide animals that then can be leveraged like goats for milk. And then the family sells the milk. I mean, it's an incredible organization that provides the opportunity to leverage any donations in an incredible way. So I encourage people to look at them for donating. And they work worldwide. An organization that I've been involved in for several years is Women in Consulting. We recently redefined the organization as a 501c3. And the reason we did that is because we wanted to have more of a community, a larger community focus. And so one of the things Women in Consulting is working on, in addition to supporting women like ourselves, who are already participating in, let's say, the professional class, the economy, we want to be able to reach out to more women who maybe aren't, hadn't thought about consulting or contracting as a possibility and give them pathways to that new type of work and a more economic security. So we're working on programs that will enable us to reach out more to the community and be more effective in helping people broaden their support, their participation in the economy. I love that. The other organization is How Women Lead. And that organization, to my understanding, started out with a mission of getting more women to serve on public boards. And as we all know, there's a lot of evidence that shows that when women are serving on boards, companies are more effective and successful, and thus people are more successful Mm -hmm. and effective. So the growth that it provides individuals and the growth that it provides companies and employees can be substantive. A few years ago, I also started a program of effectively advising and mentoring women across the world and I'm actively involved with a entrepreneur in Nigeria, on notes we can provide detail on that, Yes. who has a school for women and girls to increase their STEM skills and increase their opportunity to participate in the local and the broader economy. That is fantastic. Thank you for that. Yes, we will create, have links to all of these organizations in the show notes. So you mentioned the courseware that you developed to help educate PMs. So tell us about it and where people can find it. So it's still in process. I'm happy to offer classes more bespoke. So I have for clients created this courseware and I customize it. So one of the important things when people are learning is to also have examples and exercises to work on. So when I'm doing this strategic product management course inside a company, I integrate examples that are relevant to what the company's doing today. So they might bring in, hey, we're working on the business plan for this particular new product that we're going to launch. Okay, that becomes the foundation then for some of the exercises that we do in the course, whether it's sizing the market or coming up with specific pricing and packaging or understanding the investment that's required to make this product launch successful. The other thing I'm planning is to do some public webinars which will focus on the financial skills for product management. How does alignment affect the larger company? And what's the role of executives down to individual contributors in helping to ensure alignment and acting as leaders in that type of context, et cetera. So there's a lot going on and I'm happy to keep people in the loop as things further develop. Well, great. Well, first, I'm going to ask you about where people can find you, but Just so I'm clear on the target market, your project, product managers or project managers, sorry. Product. Product managers. 
is that for people who are in-house and so you're helping them up level those skills as an in-house person or as consultants or both yes yes (laughs) (laughs) very good (laughs) absolutely absolutely i mean one of the commitments i bring or endeavor to bring to every business and perhaps even personal relationship i have is that i'll offer value Mm -hmm. and so i have conversations with people who are considering being consultants I did a presentation for an organization called Women in Product on consulting as a career path. So I've been involved with a lot of women who are looking at consulting and how they can bring value to clients. And certainly I work quite actively with product management teams and executives inside of the companies, the clients that I work with. Fantastic. Thank you for that. I really think delivering value is part of a belief system in a way, right? Oh, and absolutely. It's not just the thing that I just say, okay, today I'm delivering value, tomorrow I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. And most of us who are founders of services based businesses, I mean, there's a reason that we did this, right? There's a reason we started our own businesses because there was something that we wanted to, that was uniquely about us that we wanted to deliver to the world, right? And so that is. That That's is. right. All right. So Grace, where can people find you if they want to find out more about the work that you do, what you have planned? How can they keep in contact with you? I'm very easy to find. I'm the only Ellen Grace Henson on LinkedIn. (laughs) Really? I don't have that. (laughs) H-E-N-S-O-N, the only Ellen Grace Henson on LinkedIn. And certainly you can find me at E-G-H for Ellen Grace Henson, E-G-H at M-K- tgmech.com as marketingmech.com mm-hmm. and look That's- at the women in consulting website you'll find me there as well absolutely <laughs> the links for all that information will be in the show notes as well thank you very much on grace for joining me today this has been a lot of fun and very valuable <laughs> i'm glad thank you Aaron, for the opportunity you're awesome Thanks for listening. Do not forget to check out the show notes for links to connect with today's guest and for the resources, offers, and organizations that we discussed. You can also find the links at hourlytoexit.com backslash podcast. If you got value from this episode, please subscribe. And I'd be so grateful for a review. I'm here to support your journey.